In episode 12.3 of Airs for Architecture, I spoke with Keller Easterling, architect, writer, and professor at Yale University, about her 2021 book, Medium Design, Knowing How to Work on the World, published by Verso. Airs for Architecture, a podcast about architecture, buildings, urban culture, and space. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Airs for Architecture. I'm talking today to Professor Keller Easterling. Professor, would you be so kind as to introduce yourself? I'm Keller Easterling. I am an author and designer, uh, a professor at Yale University. Um, and and a, a, an author and a designer, which came first, the authoring or the designing? Um... Well, I suppose I I, uh, I suppose that I, my my reputation is for as being an author. I'm best known as being an author, but I I think of my but I I prize the work of design, and I think of everyone as a designer in a particular way in any discipline. I think that's a very interesting point, and it's something I've been pondering since encountering your work and your book. But I think we can come to that. Did you? Where did you train? Did you train as a designer, or do you? Are you uh, a native designer, so to speak? Well, I, I did train as a designer in that I went to school and got a, a, the degree that I sensibly have as as an architect, um, but. I feel that the only real training I got that was worth anything was in theater. So I have, I think all I've really done is transpose a theater training to um, architecture. Okay. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Is that in the sort of, uh, I'm, you're probably bridal at this, but in the Leon Creer sense of thinking about the city as a, as a space that frames everyday lives of human beings, or is it in a more kind of detailed and directorial way? Well, I suppose it's just that when you're working in theatre, you are working with infinitive expressions. You don't work with nominative expressions. You don't go on stage saying, I'm going to play being a mother. You can't do that. You play um, that you're uh smothering your son or you're uh rejecting your daughter or you're doing whatever you're you you put it you the the cliche technique of acting you know is that you put it in active terms and so actors are up to their elbows in and uh, uh and quite practically so uh up to their elbows in actions like Actions are the thing they're working with. That's the clay. That's the medium. Um, and so in a way, uh, while architects are trained to make things with shapes and outlines, and and so we should be, we're good at geometry. I, you know, I know how to do all that stuff too. Um, but um, the kinds of forms that I've been putting forward are, more in an active register they are um they are verbs more than they are nouns that's a really that's a really beautiful way of putting it and i've never thought about that in relation to 
acting before. Act, actions are the things actors are working with. It's a very nice way of putting it. And it does really touch on the way that this particular book, um, uh, Medium Design, Knowing How to Work on the World, um, kind of addresses it. Um, perhaps perhaps you might want to introduce Medium Design and, um, and its uh, slightly subversive byline, I suppose. Not how to work in the world, but how to work on the world, which I think kind of unsettling immediately but 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 what were the what was the origins and motivations of this i mean as, as you say working in the theater so you're you're thinking there about the as you put it the things that they're working on actions does this does this have does the book itself have roots within that idea as the urban environment or the built environment or cultural environment as 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 a as, as a not object orientated practice yes um you know and i'm i'm an urbanist i'm i work on i mean even within my discipline you know i would be described as an as an urbanist but not exclusively an urbanist mm -hmm. um so i'm uh, i know an urbanist is thinking about the interplay between things um, not just the design of objects, although, you know, we have to know about that too. Um, so, uh, the, the medium in a way is space, but looking at the interplay, the dispositions, the potentials of different arrangements in space and looking at how one can be designing that interplay as well as just designing objects. So designing the way things go together, designing the way things or setting up potentials for the way things might interact, even if they're not, of course, you're, no one is the author of urbanism. <laughs> the people who are making urbanism are the authors of urbanism, but you can set up potentials that in that environment makes some things more possible and some things less possible or um, provide uh, re resources or richness for that interplay. Um, yeah, I like this idea. And what, I mean, why this book now though? What, obviously you are impelled by, compelled by, um, your personal disposition to write books, but what was the what, what and this book published in twenty twenty one? What was the kind of instrumental factor in developing it? I mean, was this something that sprung out of both the the the, the COVID crisis and other social crises, or or is this a a, a sort of reflection on a reality that you've seen emerging? Well, I think all my work has really been about this, um, about uh, working on the spaces in between, about um, seeing things um, and seeing form um, as, you know, for a long time been writing about what I would call active form. Um, so forms that, that uh, work on chemistry, interplay, 
chain reactions, inflecting populations of objects, not just making one object. So this is a long, this is a um, something that, that's running through the whole of, of my work. Um, and I, I decided that maybe I should just have the courage to go ahead and not courage, but um, I should. Um... Well, I think courage is quite an interesting word because I, I asked in my provocations that I sent you this, which you probably didn't get more than 20 minutes ago, but um, this idea of it as a manifesto, and I think you askew the idea in, in the introduction that it is a manifesto, but it, but it does have that kind of ethical bent to it as a piece of work. Compare it to, say, Extra Statecraft, which, we, which was published in 2014. In the intervening 11, uh, nine years, I guess a lot has happened. A lot of significant events have happened which perhaps have made this the imperative of this idea that you're articulating feel more imminent, necessary. Is that fair? Well, I mean, I, I, I would, I would, of course, you know, like resist the word manifesto. I, mm -hmm. I, I probably said it. It's not a manifesto. If yeah, I don't yeah, even sure. use the word, but I, I, um, because uh, it, what seemed really crucial was, and now seems even more crucial. Um, and I wish that the book had sort of expressed it more directly. But uh, at a moment when we're kind of trying to look past the last 500 years of colonizing, capitalizing, globalizing, uh, to see what kind of knowledge has been eclipsed, or to get out of certain kind of modern enlightenment habits of mind. Um, this just seems to be a kind of perennial problem that culture has, that it's not able to get past those habits of mind that are so constraining. And so the book is, you know, the book is titled Medium Design, Knowing How to Work on the World. But I placed emphasis on, on the knowing how part. I actually don't really like the subtitle because it makes it sound like, I, like I'm trying to make a manifesto, like I'm trying to tell you what to do or something like that. And that's, that's not... Um, the tone, I do use a second person, you, but it's as a gentle, um, uh, as a kind of companion to the reader to discuss knowing how, as opposed to knowing that. Um, I'm borrowing from Gilbert Ryle here, um, that not knowing that as in knowing the right answer, but knowing how as something that is about knowing how uh, uh, being able to manage an unfolding disposition or set of affordances for which there is no singular uh, solution. Um, yeah. But a lot of practical um, knowledge um, and something that is taking place over time. Um, and it was crucial to me to say that while this is something that we do all the time, we everybody is managing potentials in their lives, even though it might remain underexpressed. Um, it is it important to me to say that to to not pay attention to that underexpressed or under rehearsed 
capacity that we all have to do that is is dangerous. Um, and to be able to talk about it is to um, is to increase our capacities to operate. Um, and part of that is also moving away just from the declarations of ideology, you know, to see what exists in that other dimension, that other active undeclared dimension. Um, you know, when I was saying about actors, like the mother that's coming on to murder her son is saying, I love you, son. <laughs> you know, so being able to see the distinction between the declaration and what is actually happening, what's actually playing out um, in an environment. Very interesting proposition, and I, I enjoy it a lot. Strangely enough, I was speaking to my <clears throat> one of my daughters last night, and she was asking, we were talking about she does philosophy and, and religion at school. She's only 14. Um, and she was saying, I don't know what the point of my education is. And I was uh, trying to express this idea that the, the, the point, at least she said, I don't know what I'm learning here. And I was like, well, are you capable of understanding things more? And it's that knowing what rather than knowing how knowing how rather than knowing what, which is the, the the kind of function of a good education. It's just very difficult, I think, for contemporary people to get their head around that. And you you kind of, in the introduction to the book, you you kind of unpack that really forcefully, that we've become through this modern paradigm, through this modern mode of, this modern deportment. We've become obsessed almost particularly, I suppose, as designers and architects by the object, and by the solution, the fix, the artifact, rather than, as as you suggest, a kind of um, an interrelationship, an emergent assemblage of events. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Well, I've, I'm 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 amazed that I managed to get that right because it's complicated, or it seems complicated to me. Um, uh, but as I say, very, very, sort of very elegant idea. And and it has, as I said, this kind of ethical imperative. I mean, in chapter, what chapter is it? Some violence does not happen in chapter, chapter five. There's this engagement with structural violence. Why do you engage with that right at the very end? I, I, want, I wanted to know, not quite at the very end, there's an afterthought, but why, why then? Why not position it at the beginning and say, this is this is the condition structural violence is the is the sort of foundational level of it all of 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 modernist capitalist society i mm. uh, that's interesting um uh well i i i i tried to set out a a series of things that were different on the other side of these modern enlightenment logics, um, yeah. if you if you if you could escape them, um, what what's different? And you know, what, one of the things that different that's different is that you know, and there were sort of several things that I felt were kind of inverted logics, and then the book just kind of takes those inverted logics in turn. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the inverted logics is, you know, that kind of like being right is a really bad idea, it's a really weak idea. Um, that that uh, 
another inverted logic is that um, rather than a kind of modern succession of technologies where one technology, the next technology is smarter than the, the one before and the one before the one after kills the one before, that one is looking at an emergent technologies and that the innovation is not the new technology, but the relationship between existing and emergent technologies. Um, and, and another uh, in, inverted logic was the way that um, you know violence in these environments is is not with a gunshot or a drawn sword, um, mm -hmm. but with uh, potentials and uh, uh, attritions. Um, uh, it's the way that large organizations poison and and punish and erase you, you know, not with a gun, but uh, with uh, fossil fuels and uh, bad air and water and murderous policing and data monopolies and... Um, Feeding you terrible food. Yeah, yeah. So, it, I mean, the re I, I was trying to sort of keep all of those inverted logics in play throughout um, and uh talk about uh contents of violence mm. in organizations throughout um like the the oh, there's an opening uh discussion at the beginning of the of the preface that's talking about the way this capacity to think about the interplay about the disposition is something we do all the time. Um, and I was giving an example of a parent with squabbling children that the parent with squabbling children doesn't try to litigate the argument that the children are having, but goes around, um, you know, opening a window, moving a chair into the light, putting in pet in the arm of one child, introducing blood sugar into another that you're working on things, you're working on dulling the potentials for violence um, in the room. And that's what I'm trying to find ways to do that as a designer. It's a very interesting concept. So the medium in medium design, um, could you perhaps explain that a little bit more? It's the stuff of infrastructure. It's the stuff in between stuff. It's the not stuff in between stuff. It's dark matter. I mean, it's the kind of action of the parent to, it's the picking up of the puppy and putting it in the arms of the agitated child. Yes, all, all those things. I mean, I, I get what? very nervous about there being a name for what it is I'm talking about. I don't think there needs to be a term. And and I have been saying that this is something that is not new or right. It's something, you know, that, that would be the manifesto. That would be the old modern habit of mind that would mm -hmm. say something like that. Um, instead, I am saying this is something, as it turns out, you already know. It's something that you're doing all day long, like the parent, you know, uh, you you already know how to do it. It's 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 a blind spot that's just right in front of you, maybe, um, because we're 
because there's so much emphasis on having the right answer and having the, you know, Turing complete world and having the quantifiable expression and knowing that and uh, so on, um, that we the, that these very important capacities are underexpressed. But the medium, uh, you know, and it's a little bit dangerous to have called it that in a way because I was, I've always been using the term that had something to do with the in-between, with the with the medium. And I thought enthusiastically that my media theory colleagues would love it if um, uh, ar architecture and the people who know about space would pick up the other end of, of, of a project that media theorists are also, you know, thinking about, thinking about media, you know, not just as restricted to telecommunications and so on, but but as elemental media of air, earth, fire, water, and also expanding to think about so many things. And I and I thought that that uh there's also many other disciplines who are thinking outside of object to think about medium. Um, you know, an oncologist isn't just looking at the tumor, but is looking at um, kind of chemical fluctuations in the surrounding tissue. And, um, you know, you could go on and on that that many people who are stretching their discipline are stretching it into this kind of active rather than nominative um, register. So I wanted to join those people stretching their discipline and call all of us designers. Um, and medium is a word that I'm using that is returning back to its root medius, meaning middle um, or milieu. Okay, so we're all designers. I, I mean, I'm, I, from this idea, one assumes when you talk about design, that you don't mean the formal aesthetic practices that we teach in architecture schools in the design studio, what what is normally characterized as being designed, but instead are thinking about, you're talking about, as you say, a disposition in the world, which is designerly, which is to say about building productive relationships between entities. Yes, I mean, I think a designer is someone who uh, is not uh, happy only with reportage or with measuring, uh, uh, more precisely measuring our doom, um, but would like to get some of this material, you know, between their hands, is thinking about doing some kind of operation on this material. Um, and that, you know, that could be someone in any discipline who's thinking about um, putting things together in a different way. Uh, and what we teach in our discipline, sometimes called architecture or urbanism or something, is, is incredibly valuable uh, and undervalued, I think, in culture, underexploited in culture, um, sometimes and it's, it's 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 our fault in a way, you know. We we we've 
taken these exceptional skills we have to see these kinds of potentials acting out in space, and they're kind of restricted to a profession um, and a set of professional activities, it, taking nothing away from those professional activities, but the, the skills uh, that we have, um, I would say, exceed that realm. Um, that is, in, in, in my mind, almost seems like a cul-de-sac in a much bigger field in which we could operate and apply this training. Um, yeah, you know, I agree. And it's, I mean, we, we talk about it quite a lot when we're sort of plotting design courses. I'm doing so at the moment where we talk about the kind of value or the knowledge that we because most architects, people who start architecture school don't go on to become architects. The vast majority don't. Um, and on a certain level, that looks like failure. <laughs> because if if 95% of people who started medical school didn't become doctors, you'd think something was up. But it's about 95% of architecture, people who start yeah. architecture school don't become architects, but they do often go into these other disciplines. And I, I do wonder about what it is, this mysterious thing that we teach them. And how we teach them seems to seems to do something. It's quite it's quite amazing. But I wanted to I wanted to come to the kind of philosophical uh, underpinnings of, of of what you're writing about here. I mean, there, there's a strong there's a strong postmodern um, tendency. Well, a, a strong postmodern kind of uh, sense in what you're writing about, and certainly uh, in in your first chapter, you know more you can tell. You certainly outline a number of theorists who fit within that epoch um is that how you see it is this is an is this a is this an extension of postmodern theory or is this a departure from it are we beyond the postmodern i would say that it's um a departure from it to the extent that postmodern is kind of modern, um, you know, like it's, it's in a sense that postmodern is modeling, it's, you know, is molding itself still on the modern. And to say one is postmodern is a very modern thing to say. So, um, uh, um, I know what you mean, but I guess what I, I guess what I've been thinking about recently. I've been thinking about this use of this word truth that people have started using again. There's a lot of truth going about at the moment. There's, first of all, the idea of fake news, which is a remarkable concept in a postmodern sense, in a postmodern reading of it. And then there's kind of the idea that we should, or there should be some form of curtailment on untruth or misinformation or disinformation or fake news or whatever it is. So it's like truth has come screaming back into the debate without anybody really noticing. And it seemed to me that the door had shut on that postmodern moment where, um, I don't know, we're going to have to find arbiters of truth all of a sudden, which is very complicated. And I was just wondering whether you're, what you're because you're, what you're not doing in your critique of modernism is saying that which came before modernism or modernity or whatever it is, or, or the modern is what we need to be looking back towards, which would be a traditionalist kind of new urbanist kind of approach perhaps. And you're, but you're not also saying we just need to do it harder. We need more modernism or we need to do modernism correctly. Like what's gone wrong is that we've done modernism badly. 
But instead, you're saying there's this completely alternative path. There's a totally different way of perceiving the world. And I was wondering whether you'd like to talk about that, and but also what the lineage of that kind of line of reasoning is. Um, well, there's so much there. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, um, Maybe start with the lineage. Well, part, of, part of part of the reason for, I mean, I, I suppose you earlier asked, you know, why now? Why mm. why talk about medium design now? And you talk about truth. And um, I mean, I think one of the one of the reasons for it was to look at the ways in which political superbugs operate to expose them. Um, and those moments where we are declaring the truth and bringing truth to power and coming with a singular enemy and a singular solution and a singular ideological remedy, uh, noticing how easy that makes it for the uh, political superbug to run rings around us. I mean, it, it goes back to uh, Musel and um, paraphrasing here, you know, that that uh, stupidity has has truth as a, at a disadvantage because it can put on all the guises of truth. It can tell a million lies, uh, whereas truth only has, you know, is limited to, to, um, to truth. Um, uh, and so the way in which um, political superbugs operate on, um, on temperament, the way in which they tell a million lies, the ways in which they create that kind of structural or environmental violence we were talking about before. I was asking as an activist, what do we have? What do we have to, to work against them? Um, if we fight, you know, with raised fist, do we give them the rancor that they, that they thrive on? You know, how do we, um, how do we outwit the um, superbug that manages to um, uh, operate on this kind of environmental, in this kind of environmental way, on me in the media and in the media proper and in the medium that we're that I'm talking about, um, and so in a way, like looking for a, that capacity to see with a split screen. Um, what people are saying and what they're doing, you know, the the, the difference between um, someone who pretends to be a populist leader while they concentrate power, you know, so almost almost being able to hear uh, what people are saying, then turn the sound down and see the disposition of the organization they're creating, you know, that they're saying I'm spreading my power among you while they're creating a hub and spoke, you know, like uh, centrality, like and rehearsing that habit of mind on everything, kind of turning the sound down on the declarations of ideology to see which ones might be talking about decentralization while they centralize or uh, looking at social media that purports to be information rich while it threads everything through a binary of likes and dislikes that makes it violent and information poor. You know, like just continually being able to see 
that distinction in organization and then also being able to operate in some of these registers so that you can be sneaky enough to outwit the superbug. In terms of the built environment, this these superbugs look like what? Is this the kind of environments of neoliberal and globalized capitalism which has promised emancipatory potential and delivered it very little yeah is that, is mean, that what is that what you're shooting at is it is it that or is it something more it's not the stuff of architecture or is it well i mean obviously i mean again i didn't say it but because it seemed like it was too obvious to say but you know a kind of I like really obvious things. So. <laughs> a kind of Trumpian character is, as you know, one of the reasons for this book. Um, the Trumpian character that is not gone and that is always with us, um, uh, that can manage to, um, you know, that knows how lies work, um, that knows how to. Uh, you know that knows that reason and 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 truth are uh, are that, that knows how to make truth slip and slide on a whole set of lies. Um, so it's uh, for Trump. Might we say look Corbusier or I don't know um, uh, Robert Moses? I mean, is is that is that where we get to in in terms of architectural production, or are you? specifically seeing the, the sort of the medium, so to speak, <clears throat> well, as you call it, the medium as being the way that architecture is communicated. So that it's that, you know, you mentioned Foucault and this idea of apparatus or the dispositive, um, this idea of the, the kind of the language of it, but also the stuff between the language of it. Is that what we're talking about here? Are we not talking about buildings at all? Um, well, I mean, I, I I would say that this superbug is, you know, you could say that this superbug is kind of, you know, a figure like Trump or uh, Bolsonaro or, you know, take your pick of kind of political strongmen. Or you could say that it's um, like some of the spatial environments that I've tried to study, like the free zone, you know, for instance, um, a, a paradigm, a kind of neoliberal paradigm uh, that a lot of people don't really know about, but that is that is a spatial apparatus for um, um, enacting the uh, the tenets of of neoliberalism. And without understanding how that uh, free zone works, you don't really even see the giant physical plants of neoliberalism, the engine room of neoliberalism and how it operates and the ways in which it's managed to uh, again create a series of, of fairy tales and uh, stories while it insulates itself from any kind of legal um, uh, reconciliation. Um, it's found a way uh, just like 
Trump or others find a way to not tell one lie, that doesn't work, but tell many lies that creates a kind of Teflon on which reasonable people start to slip and slide. And the the free zone is another one of those um, environments. Yeah, or you mentioned sort of social media environments as well earlier. Um, I think that's really interesting. So, So in a way, the medium design that you propose is a way of engaging with that in a subversive manner. Yes, yes. Uh, it's trying to provide activists with an, another, and this is something I've long been thinking about, you know, it's trying to extend activist tools. Um, and that's not to say that activism, you know, doesn't almost always begin with marching, resisting, blockading, boycotting, fighting, um, um, you know, uh, it, it, any forms of insurgency that we're familiar with, um, you know, power doesn't change without that kind of pressure. And it often takes the form of opposition. But I also want to expand our ways of operating so that we're able to do the same things that the superbug can sometimes do, you know, keep everybody confused and disoriented. Um, I want to disorient the superbug, you know, I want to say that our, um, our activism um, is pretty weak if it just says there's one and only one way to do activism and I have the answer and so on. That's that that just makes it too easy for the superbugs to outwit us. But to keep them starved of the fight they sometimes crave, to keep them disoriented, to keep them guessing with multiple techniques, some of which don't declare themselves, that's what I think maybe gives an edge in these um in these environments where uh, sometimes resistance of a certain kind doesn't seem to work. Um, so if the architect or the designer, let's say, let's if the designer is everybody, what becomes of the designer? And, and I suppose, and it's something I've had mentioned to me before, no one pays for an activist. No one pays for what? Sorry. No one pays for an activist. An activist. So it's activism doesn't pay the bills. So there's a kind of problem right at the heart of this, which is part of, you know, critical problem, I suppose, the wicked problem, which is that no one's going to be able, no one's going to pay to be educated to be a designer that doesn't get paid. So I just wonder how we can... Although, and, and I and I take a point that the the, con, the the situation to hand demands new ways of doing architecture. How do we teach this particular? How do how 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 might we go about engaging young minds with the idea of medium design? Um, how do they how do they start doing it? I mean, I'm not going to pretend that this is easy. Um... I'll say in studios where I'm, where we work this way, 
it's the most natural thing in the world to, to work this way. Uh, and I would say, again, this is nothing new. Like the best designers in the world have always worked this way. They always can see all of those other potentials. Um, but they they haven't been engaged to think about it in, in the way that we're doing. Engaged to think about it in a way that is absolutely relevant uh, today. Um, uh, it's um, really seeing what's on the other side of those, uh, on the other side of those last 500 years, it's sympathetic with feminist, black feminist, anarchist, environmentalist, abolitionist uh, thinkers. It's absolutely um, can find many partners in the world especially now as we go through different kinds of cultural sea changes. Um, so I uh, think then, I mean, it's, it's, it's very obvious in a design studio that this is, that this works. If you looked at the, the wall of my design studios, you would see everything from um, construction details to, things that look like buildings to many other things, but just a way of applying a kind of intelligence in a broader and more relevant way, more broadly relevant. That's not just waiting for a highly capitalized client to give you a job. Um, architects, designers, incredibly uh, smart, you know, correlative thinkers. So, I'm I'm not speaking to every student, but I'm speaking to those students who would like to use their training outside of a profession that's just waiting for a client um, and who wants to make coalitions with other kinds of people um, to, um, you know, pursue that relevance in other ways. Uh, so not a client-based, um, I mean, not this traditional client base. Of course, people may ask you to study something or do something. Um, you may be the inventor of something. You may sometimes in these different coalitions be sustained by um, grants from the sciences, grants from other areas. Um, you know, in architecture, we get grants of like $5,000. The science scientists get grants of multi-million dollars to study things. And what I'm trying to do is put the architect more in the center of those interdisciplinary crossroads. I mean, certainly in a university trying to say that, that it's the knowledge that we have, spatial knowledge, not that we should go be going to get, you know, business degrees and science degrees, but that people from business and science should be seeing what we do and be thinking about spatial uh, practices as as absolutely crucial to the emergencies that we're in right now. Um, so no longer just happy to measure in parts per million, you know, our doom, but like really looking for ways to hammer out uh, changes in cross-disciplinary uh, coalitions. Perfect. Wonderful point to finish on. Thank you very much, Keller. Thank you. Pleasure.
The medium is the message. Keller's right. Thanks to Professor Easterling for speaking so well, and to Verso for the book. The podcast description has the details and links as per usual. Follow up on them, why don't you? And thanks for listening.